The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently, we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rock. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at Sons of Liberty Media.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. Sons of Liberty Radio.com and also Sons of Liberty Media.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right. You can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and there you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side is Bradley's show from Saturday. So there's two hours worth of Bradley Dean there. If you want to catch that, you can do so up until 3 o'clock this afternoon, at which time, and that's Eastern time, that he'll be live in this area. And, um, yeah, if you miss it after that, you got to go to the Rumble channel, which is Sons of Liberty Radio Live. On the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button, blow it up on a device you're um, using there, and then look for the rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Click on that. And you can join us in the chat. A lot of excited people this morning playing. You know, I, I love it. I don't like to try to play the same songs over and over, but I get accustomed to certain things. I like certain songs, and I get to play that Dan Vask version of Amazing Grace, which is just incredible. Really incredible. And uh, so a lot of people are fired up in there this morning, as am I. Okay. But uh, anyway, we are streaming there at sonsoflibertymedia.com. We're also streaming live on Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then we are also on beforeitsnews.com, top of the page there. And we appreciate the guys giving us a spot over there at beforeitsnews.com. Right up under where we're streaming live on sonsoflibertymedia.com is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. It goes out once a day between 7 and 8 Eastern, and that includes the morning show archive. So everything that I've talked about uh, or that I will talk about in this show, the scriptures and everything, all that will be laid out. You might get some extra stuff, some bonus videos and things of that nature. And then uh, we'll also have the previous three shows we did, which was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of last week on this. Now I'm going. Uh, let me uh, let me finish this up, and I'm, I'm going to open the, everything up here. Okay, if you agree with our message, you'd like to support us. You don't have to to get the message. You know, freely we receive, freely we give. Okay, but if you, but even even the Lord Jesus, there was a money bag to help them with certain things. Judas was stealing from it. We know that, right? So anyway, 
there's a donate button to help uh, do that if you want to help support us uh, one time or either you can become a son or daughter of liberty which is our monthly partners and we appreciate each and every one of you and we appreciate those who don't support us financially too because many of you pray for us many of you come into the chat many of you listen to the show every day and you're a tremendous encouragement um, to I believe both Bradley and myself and so we thank you for that we really do all right so today's going to be different <clears throat> I shared with people that I'm going to open up the phone line. Now, I don't have a phone bank. Okay, This is my own personal line from Google Voice. It is not a show line. So if you call in after, you're going to go to a voicemail. Okay, But I have some belligerent people. And I know I probably have some people who are not belligerent. They're just, they're like, wow, I've never heard any of this before. But you're staying in the context. I can't argue with it. So if you have questions, I may not have a full answer for you. I'm not claiming I have the, I'm not claiming I have all the answers, but I know the word of God does. Okay. And that's what we look to is, is it ha God has the answers. And I think he's been very clear about what Matthew 24 is saying. But hey, if you're, if you disagree with me, you're welcome to call in too. Love to hear from you. Um, let's be respectful of one another. Okay. I'm not asking you to respect my view. I do ask you to respect the scriptures, but let's respect one another. And if we disagree, let's see why we're disagreeing. Okay. The number is 803-619-9855. 803-619-9855. And I'm going to do this. I still have this here, but I'm probably going to have to move it up. So let me take and move this up here. And that way it's on the screen, at least for those who are watching, okay? So that if you want to call, you, you're more than welcome to call. Maybe you got an input, you got a question, whatever the case may be. And I, I know I can only take one at a time. So usually when I open it up, maybe one person calls in. That's fine. That's totally fine. But it's open for you if you've got a question uh, that you want to ask. I'm, I'm happy to, to take a question or if you got a comment, we'll, we'll do that. 803-619-9855. Okay. All right. We're going to go back into Matthew 24. And before I do that, I want to bring in a couple of passages before that. For instance, 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now, the more I thought about it, and I got to tell you, for the last week, that is, this has been the only conversation in the house here. Uh, the kingdom of God, specifically Matthew 24 and some other things like that. So all of that's all of that is has been a part of my family's conversation. Uh, it's been there when uh, me and my boys are gathered together. My son-in-law are gathered together for three or four nights in a row. Um, and we've had other conversations around the table and other things like this. So the more I think about it, the more I start to see what God is doing least from my perspective, and that is that he is doing a full circle. What do I mean by that? Well, God has always been king. It's not like he's, he's not been king. It's not like he's not been the lawgiver. It's not like he's not been the judge. He has for all eternity. He's been that. But in time and space, we're seeing it among men. And so you remember when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday when we gathered together. 
He, he, came, he brought them out of Egypt. He defeated their enemies in front of them. He provided for them food out in the wilderness. Now, it wasn't necessarily, you know, what they, what their stomachs and taste buds and everything else might have craved. But nevertheless, he took care of them. He met their needs. He was their king. Okay? And then, as time progressed, we see this little thing here. And uh, I'm going to see if I can blow the screen up here for uh, the viewers. Just so I, I know sometimes it's very small. And if some of you are watching on a phone or something, it's really, really small. Nothing I can do about that part. But 1 Samuel chapter 8, listen to what is said. Remember, God has been leading. And the people are like, no, we can't see you. Yeah, we see all the stuff you did. Pretty miraculous things, delivering us from the, big, the greatest army at the time, who was also their masters and their captors. They've seen all that. They've seen God's deliverance. They've seen him smite their enemies with plagues. They've seen him kill every firstborn in Egypt. They've seen how he moved upon the hearts of the people of Egypt to give them things. Armaments, gold, silver, all kinds of provisions as they left. They've seen God protect them with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. They've seen God part the sea so that they walk on dry land. And as they turn around, God closes the sea over their enemies and destroys the entire Egyptian army. They've seen all that. And they're quick to turn right back around and go, I wish we were in Egypt. At least we had some onions there. At least we had some food. And they complain against the very God who has protected them and delivered them from their slavery. But they have a mindset of a slave still. They have the mindset of a slave. And though God does all kinds of things for them, Eventually, they don't want God. They want a man to rule over them. They want, if you wonder why people are so compliant with the mask, they want somebody to rule over them. They desire to be ruled over. And let me tell you, that is the vast majority, I think, in the, quote, land of the free, home of the brave. They want somebody to rule over them. First Samuel chapter 8, listen to what happens. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second, Abiah, and they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre. They're after money. They're after bribes. It says they, he, they took bribes and they perverted judgment. Does that sound like anybody today that you know? Maybe a certain, I don't know, corrupt, communist-tied traitor named Joe Biden? Sounds, sounds just like that, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, we didn't elect him. No, I don't believe that you did. But the fact of the matter is, we saw that under Donald Trump, too. We saw the same kind of 
desire for these things. Anyway, and we saw it under Barack Obama, and we saw it under George W. Bush, and we saw it under George H.W. Bush, and Bill. We, we've seen this. It's not anything new. Then, the, uh, then all the elders of Israel gathered to get themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in, their, in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Interesting. Make us a king to judge us like all the nations. See, what they didn't realize were all the other nations were in bondage to their sin. Now, if you remember when Jesus, or excuse me, when Jesus, he was, he was not the one directing that. When, when, they, when the law was given and they're going into the land, what does God tell them? He said the people in Canaan, which is the promised land to Abraham, that you're going in to possess that land. The people of that land are being driven out for the very things I'm telling you not to do. Okay? Get, get, understand that. The people who, are possess, who have possessed the land for some time that God promised to Abram, and now his descendants are coming in to take possession of that land, God said they're being driven out because they're doing the very things that I'm telling you not to do. And they're not doing the things that I'm telling you to do. Okay? So God has a plan, and that plan is you wipe it all out. You don't leave anything. You wipe it all out. Now, for some people, that's a hard pill to swallow. Why, why would God tell them to, to kill women and children? They were a wicked bunch. They were a wicked bunch. I don't even think we can comprehend it. We see some wickedness going on. This was really bad. And so he says, you, you wipe it out. Now, they asked for that. And I want you to notice the response. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out up out of the up, uh, up out of Egypt even unto this day wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods so do they also unto thee and then he says this now therefore hearken unto the voice howbeit ye yet protest solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. So he's, he's to go to them and he's going to tell them, this is what you're asking for and this is what you're going to get. You're not content with the liberty and the provision and the protection that I give you. Now, God didn't, God didn't abandon his throne and not be king. He didn't do that. He never has. Okay? Instead, God is the one who turns them over to their own lusts, if you will. They want a king like everybody else. And it's going to cost them. It's going to cost them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. 
And he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. So what's any different in, in, in the king of the, this king who's going to be coming in of Israel? What's any different of him just grabbing up their sons and using them how he pleases and the Egyptians who were making them make brick? What's any different? Nothing. Slavery, bondage, that's what it is. And he will appoint <clears throat> him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his instruments of war, and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries, and to be cooks, and to be bakers. And he will take your fields, and your vineyards, and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed, and of your vineyards, and give to his officers, and to his servants. And he will take your men servants, and your maid servants, and your goodliest young men, and your asses, and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep, and ye shall be his servants. And ye shall cry out in the day because of your king, which ye have chosen you, which ye shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us. See, there's a way that seems right to man. The end thereof leads to I'm going to add slavery and death because Jesus does say when you're when you're a slave to sin, that's that's who your master is. And Samuel, excuse me, that we may be like all the nations and that our king may be may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, hearken unto their voice, make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, go ye every man unto his city. So listen to what they're saying. What they're saying is, no, Lord, we don't want to be a holy people, a set-apart people for you. We don't want to be distinct among the nations. We don't want to be a city on a hill. We don't want to be different. We want to be like everybody else. Is that not what we hear out of government today? Now, I'm not going to get on the politics side, but isn't that what we hear out of them? Oh, well, we have to look to Europe and their laws and their culture and see how to make that work. You remember when we did some shows with some people from England and they were talking about, I forget who we had on that said it, but they, they basically said, they basically told us that they were looking for cases in the United States to use in their courts in England. But it's the same concept. We've changed our mind from being distinct, a, a city on a hill, if you will, as a, as a people. And what we've said is, we want to be the darkness just like everybody else. Well, they're doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing here. Right? So I want you to get the idea because I think the full circle is, is eventually the issue is God becomes God of his people. And, and when I say he becomes, he becomes king, he becomes king among his people, I'm not saying he becomes that. I'm saying in their minds, they're seeing it. They're being loosed and freed from the shackles of these other men that would rule over them. And thus, this is why 
when you see the men early on in our history, three, four hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, you see the men come over and they'll have the scriptures. And that is what their governance is. It's what their civil society was based on, was the law of God. Okay? So that's why you would see that. They saw Jesus as king, not as a coming king, as king. Now, here and now, that he rules and reigns over his people. Okay? With that said, I want to go to Matthew chapter 16 and 17. I'm going to make just a little comment there, and then we're going to go back to Matthew 24, because I think these things kind of build on one another, at least how I see some stuff. So, <clears throat> here's Jesus. He's talking uh, to his disciples. We read this before. This is where he tells the alleged first Pope Peter to get behind him, Satan, because Peter was an offense to him because Peter was not in agreement with what the gospel was. Okay? So he comes down to verse 27, and it says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his work. Verily I say unto you, There be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, I'm going to ask the question here, like I asked it about Matthew 24, and this, these things are going to come upon the generation and all these things will be fulfilled. Is Jesus lying here? I'm not attacking somebody's position, so let's be clear. But I, I'm asking you, is Jesus telling the truth or is he not telling the truth in these verses? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his work. And we know he does that when he comes in his kingdom. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here. This is in the first century that he's talking to, and we know Peter's there. We know some of the other disciples are there. Which shall not taste of death. By the way, if, you, if you've got a comment, call in 803-619-9855. You know, I see comments in, I see comments in the chat. And people say things. I want to know where you get that. I want to know where you get where Jesus has more than one meaning here. I, I, I want to understand that. Um, and I'd love to have a conversation. If, if we can be respectful and we can give back and forth, that's great. But he says, There are some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Is he telling the truth or is he not? Were there some standing there in the first century who saw Jesus, the Son of Man, coming in his kingdom? I believe they were, because I believe the authority of the Word of God. I believe that Jesus does not lie. He is the God who cannot lie. Okay? So I want to lay that up. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is what I used to think. I used to think the answer was in the next chapter. And I'm going to give you this, and then we're going to jump right over to Matthew 24. Okay? I used to think this was the answer. And maybe you can see why, but there's no mention of kingdom. Okay? And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. The, the picture that you have is, is that it's almost like 
coming out of Jesus, like it's almost like he pulled himself apart to show, like almost like he took the flesh that he was wrapped in, peeled it back to show who he was in all of his glory. He was transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias, the law and the prophets, that's what that's a representation of, talking with him. And here's this alleged first pope, by the way. He's already screwed it up once in the previous chapter. He's denied the gospel. Now look at him. He's an idolater. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. And while he yet spake in his idolatry, that's what he's doing, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the, day, uh, from the dead. And it goes on from there. So, The, the point is, is this. I used to think, well, this is the scene of the coming of the kingdom. But that's not what's pictured there. You get a picture of his transfer. You get a picture of the glory of Christ. They did see who Christ really was. But it wasn't coming in the kingdom. Okay? And he talks about this in the passage that they're at. So, Matthew 24, we'll hit this again. Jesus has just pronounced woes upon the Pharisees of the day, the religious leaders of the day, those who were, um, you know, your, 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 your rulers in, in Israel. And he comes out of the temple. Matthew 23, he's listed, I don't know how many woes in that passage. And he tells them their house is desolate. Okay? And he calls it their house. It's no longer the house of God. It's their house. In Matthew 24, And Jesus went out, departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So he's very clear. He's telling them about that temple, not another temple, that one. This is, a, I'll, I'll tell you, as soon as somebody, this is the way you can tell whether somebody's going to be on the right track or the wrong track or partially on the right track or partially on the wrong track. If they teach through Matthew 23 and they come into Matthew 24 and they immediately go thousands of years out in our future, or even the disciples' future, they're on the wrong track. They're on the wrong track in understanding this. That is not the context. The context is about the very temple that stands there in Jerusalem at this time in history, first century. That's what they're talking about. 
Okay? And Jesus says there's not going to be one stone left upon another. In fact, I think it was on Friday we talked about the fact that if you go over there and you're going over there because you're very sentimental and you want to see the land where Jesus walked in the disciples, you're not going to see that. I mean, you're going to go over in the area, but all of those cities and Jerusalem especially were plowed under by the Romans. You, Josephus says you couldn't even tell that it had been inhabited. So what you see there today is not what existed then. The Romans just, not, they just destroyed it. Just like Jesus said they would. No stone upon another. Back to Matthew 24. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, stop for a second. Okay? Remember that these things that are being said here are being said back and forth between Jesus and his disciples. They are not being spoken to you and me. Now, they're, they're for us in the fact that we can draw application. And we should draw application from this, even though it's been fulfilled. We should draw application from this. But the fact of the matter is, when they hear, when they ask questions like, what shall be the sign of thy coming, the end of the world? We talked about that before. The end of the age. The end of the old covenant age. That's what the word world is there in the text. It literally means age. The end of the age. They don't have the concept that we've been taught in their minds here. They can't even fathom that Jesus is dying in a couple of days, even though he's told them over and over and over and over again that he's going to die, that he's going to be buried, and that he's going, to, he's going to rise again the third day. They can't even comprehend that. There's no way they're asking this question the way many think, the, the way many would like for them to ask it today. They're not asking that at all. So, he gives them some instruction. He begins to answer them. When are these things going to be? What's going to be the sign of thy coming? End of the end of the end of the end of the world. Now, if you remember, and I forgot to pull this up, but if you remember, one of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, was that Hebrews tell us um, that Jesus, when he came into the world, and he gave himself, all right, one of the things was that he did so at a certain time, okay? He did so at a certain time. And when was that time? Because I'll guarantee you most preachers aren't going to really tell you this, or they're not going to make an emphasis on it, especially if they think Matthew 24 is somewhere out in our future or we're living in it or whatever the case may be. This is Hebrews chapter 9, and this is what it says. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For, when, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once, when? 
What, what, what does that say? But now once in the end of the world, he hath appeared. When was the end of the world? First century, when Jesus appeared, when the Messiah appeared. It says it right there in the text. It says it right there. To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He appears once in the end of the world to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. How is he putting away sin? Same thing that Daniel said, making the end of sins. That's what it says. And then it goes on and it says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And what are they looking for here? What is the writer of Hebrews warning them about? Going back to that old system, right? He warns them about over and over and over how Christ is superior to everything they have in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament speaks about him. It speaks about him and what he will do, what he did do. In the New Testament, that's the way they look back on it. So Jesus gives them several things. We're going to skip down because we've covered some of these things before. Looking out for false Christs. Um, and of course, we can draw application from that today. Uh, wars and rumors of war. And he says, don't be troubled. So we can draw application from that today. And by the way, notice he says this. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Yet. Okay? Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, and diverse places. And you can see all of this happening in the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts, keep Matthew 24 in mind, these things that Jesus warns about, you'll start seeing them pop up all over the place. All those stormy seas and stuff, and when you start looking at them, you know, basically, what do you have with the tsunami? Is it not caused from an earthquake? Yep. Pestilences, famines, the people, the brothers in Jerusalem. That's where Paul was gathering money to care for the uh, the Jerusalem believers from the believers out in Asia Minor. They were taking care of famines. He says these are the beginning of sorrows. They're going to deliver you up to be afflicted. They're going to kill you. They're going to you're going to be hated by all nations for my name's sake. As they as the as Paul went through the various areas in Asia Minor, when he went up into Rome and all these other places. Yeah, there were people who hated him. Sure were. Some of the other disciples who went up into England and other places, yep, they were hated too. Most of them put to death. There's going to be false prophets, he says. They're going to deceive many. Uh, the love of many are, is going to wax cold. Why? Because iniquity is going to abound. And then he says, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. You know, let me just make this note. Perseverance of a believer is evidence and fruit that God has worked in their life. The ones who leave, John says, they went out from us, not because they knew Christ and Christ knew them. And then all of a sudden they just want a divorce from that. No, that's not what went on. John says they went out from us because they were not of us. Again, I've said this idea you can lose salvation is just ridiculous. If you didn't do anything to get it, you can't do anything to lose it. 
If you didn't do anything to put yourself in the Father's hand, you can't do anything to take yourself out of the Father's hand. But it's evidenced in your perseverance and in your faith. If you abandon it, you're doing, you're not listening to the warning of, of the writer of Hebrews. He said, if you go back to the old ways, the old covenant, and you want to start doing animal sacrifice, and you want the priesthood and the temple, and you want all that, there is no sacrifice for sin. There never was. The only sacrifice for sin is Jesus Christ. That is it. And in his sacrifice, the Father has said he is well pleased. And that is how he accepts sinners is on the basis of his son, the Lord Jesus. Okay. So with that said, let's go back to Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. See there, Tim, it says this the gospel of the kingdom has not been preached to all the nations. I mean, there's there's people in this area and that area that have never heard the gospel. Really? Wasn't preached. The Bible says otherwise. And I'm just, I'm bringing these passages in. Uh, I'm staying in the context of Matthew 24, but I'm bringing these in for those who've never heard these things. Okay? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which is coming to you as it is in all the world. That's the word of God. And bringing forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the spirit. So he, he, he continues on, and then in the same chapter, <clears throat> in the same chapter, here's what he says. He said, verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things in himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he hath, hath he reconciled. I mean, it's, this is an echo of Ephesians 2. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, did you, did you hear that? If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which, has been, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, wherefore I, Paul, am made a minister. That's verse 23 of Colossians 1, in case you're looking it up. That's exactly the issue. 
Okay? So when, when he talks about this, the gospel of the kingdom, and people say, oh, you can't do that. And you got preachers today saying, you know, we got, we got to preach the gospel to, so Jesus will come back to all the world. You know, this, this has to be fulfilled for Jesus. It was already fulfilled in the first century, and the scriptures testify to it. The scriptures testify to that. So, let's move along. Verse 15. He mentions the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Now, we, that was one of our first shows. That was one of our first shows that we did. That was the one on Wednesday. And we went back into Daniel 9. We showed you the time frame. We showed you what the Messiah was going to do. The six things that, that Gabriel revealed to Daniel that he was going to be doing. And then he says this. He talks to a specific area. He is not talking about everywhere in the world. He's talking about a specific area. When you see this abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Who's he talking to? People in Judea. Let him, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything. Who's the people on the housetop not come? The people in Judea. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Who's the person in the field? The person in Judea. And woe unto them that are with child and to, give, and to them that give suck in those days. Who's those who, are, who have children, and who's the ones giving suck? Those in Judea. By the, yeah, by the way. Yeah, spooky. The, numbers, the, the, the phone line's open. I, I know you've been saying a lot of stuff about me in the text. Why don't you give us a call? I, the phone number's up. Here it is. 803-619-9855. I mean, I'd love to have a conversation with you. I think I know who you are, but I'd love to have a conversation about you. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. And I'm going to show you he said it, just like I've showed the past three days that we've talked about this. Okay. And he says this, pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? Now, Spooky, you don't believe what Jesus says. I'm going to show you you don't believe what Jesus says in just a second. Because for the radio audience, they're saying, I don't need clarification. I don't believe what Tim believes. Well, that's fine. But we're not called to believe what I believe. We're called to believe what Christ has said. If my beliefs are wrong, they need to be corrected. Okay? But my beliefs are based upon the Scriptures in their context, not Bible ping pong. Now, I went to other passages to make points about certain things where people were bring up challenges. Yes, I did that. But I have never left the context here. Okay? Everybody else will leave the context to make it say something it doesn't plainly say. Right? And I'm going to show you that in just a second. I showed you this in the first one. And except those days, he says, and for then shall be great tribulation, 
such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now keep in mind, he is telling them when these things are going to take place. What things? The stones not being left on top of the other, the destruction of the temple. That's what he started out with, right? That's what he started out with. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here's a Christ, or there, believe it not. Okay, so he talks about false Christ and false prophets again. That's in verses 23 and 24. And he says, I've told you, verse 25, Wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert. You know, he, he goes through this thing about the false Christ, the false prophets, all that, through verse 26. And then verse 27 says this, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even into the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. See there, Tim, that's it. The, that's, that's, this is not in the first century. Nonsense. This is what Jesus is talking about. He is, there is nothing in this text, in the entire text of Matthew 24, that says, well, some of this is going to happen here in the first century, and there's something else in the future. That's not what it says. And if you think it does, then I have to ask you the question, where is that at in the text? This is why the phone number is open. It's not in the text. I'm addressing you, Spooky, because, hey, the phone line's open. You can type a lot. You can put a lot of stuff in there. You can attack me. But the phone line's open. You're welcome to call in. Okay? You really are. I, look, I, I, I welcome that because I know what it is to think like that. I know what it is for there. I got patience for that. But he says this, For as the lightning coming out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And then he says this, For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Now, that sounds odd. And yet there's a destruction that's coming upon Jerusalem. And he's telling them it's coming. In fact, when he says all this, and it is in answer to when are these things going to be, the sign of your coming, the end of the age or the end of the world. He says immediately. Now, if you recall, he said up here earlier in Matthew, verse 21, you want to know when the great tribulation was? It was in the first century in Jerusalem. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And why was that? Because Jesus had said it in Matthew 23, you who kill the prophets and stonest those who are sent to you, fill up the measure of your sins from the blood of righteous Abel to Zacharias, the bookends of the Old Testament. Listen, anything that falls outside of that, that timeline there, is not scripture. It's why I reject certain books right off the bat if they fall outside of that timeline. They're not the word of God. You can say it all you want, but Jesus lays down where the bookends are. Okay? And then he says, let me slide back down here just a second. I got ahead of myself. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So we have, we have went through the text. When is the great tribulation? According to Jesus. It's in that time frame of when all the stones are going to be taken apart in the temple and it's going to be destroyed. That's when it happened. And it was so terrible because the people had broken the covenant of God and God had been merciful and patient with them for hundreds of years. But eventually the curses were going to overtake them 
from Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26 to where they would be utterly destroyed. And they were destroyed from the wrath of God. Poured out without mixture. Why? Because that generation is the generation who didn't just, you know, their fathers had stoned the prophets. They killed the Son of God. They killed the Son of God. And it says immediately, immediately, not thousands of years in the future, not even hundreds, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven. We talked about that as far as how that plays out a little bit in Old Testament passages on, I think it was Friday. So if you missed that show, you can pick that up there. And the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then, so immediately after the tribulation, you have this, what seems to be a phenomenon in the sky. Maybe there were some of those things. We read some strange events that happened with Josephus that he records. But we also see what that's a rep representation of. Their world is just disintegrated in front of them. Okay. And after that, because he says, and then, again, not thousands of years in the future, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Again, I told you, do your, do your word search on earth. You can literally read it as land, the tribes of the land. How, now, how does your mind think? Does it not think of the tribes of Israel? Yep. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, just like Jesus tells Caiaphas the high priest and the Sanhedrin. Henceforth, you, not people thousands of years in the future, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And what does that get him? Well, the high priest rends his garments. He, he says, what need do we have of any more witnesses? This man has blasphemed. It's come from his own mouth. They understood exactly what Jesus was saying. He is the Messiah and he is God. Why? Because they understand the coming in the clouds nature of God coming in judgment. It's all in the Old Testament. And again, we talked a little bit about that on Friday. So if you didn't hear Friday's show, you can go back and you can look up some of those things. But this is what he says. And it gets, it gets even more difficult, I know. If you've been taught certain things, this really gets difficult to buy into. I get it. I get it. But we must trust the words of the Lord over our own beliefs if our beliefs are not in conformity to Scripture. Okay? Can't do that. So he said, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. See, Tim, this is, a, you know, this is, this didn't happen. This is way out. It, look, Jesus said it was happening then. And I want you to pay attention to these words. We, we did this before. He continues on, learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. Now I've told you, you hear all these Bible prophecy people, and they, they bring this up, and they'll say, see, this is about Israel. Israel came, it was the fig tree, born in 1948, blah, blah, blah. It, the, the modern state of Israel has no biblical prophetic significance except beware of false Christs and false prophets. That's what, that's what the modern state of Israel, that's, the, that's what you should be aware of. Okay? 
So he says this, and he says, what is, what is he trying to say with the fig tree? He's saying, just as you can see, the, the leaves come on the tree, and you know that summer is nigh. Likewise, verse 33, ye, when ye shall see all these things, what things? All the things he's just spoken to them. Know that it is near, even at the door. Know it is near. Know what's near. The coming of the Son of Man. He's already said the sign of the Son of Man is there. The destruction is there. It's all linked together. The end of the age, the end of the world is there. It's all in the same time. So likewise, when you see these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. And then he says this. If you say, Tim, all this stuff didn't happen then. There's stuff in the... Then I want to ask you, is Jesus lying? Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And this, one's, this one is a big one too. He's saying the generation that sees this is not passing away till all these things be fulfilled. What are the all things? All the things he's been talking about. And then he says this, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Now, he's used that before, and he says, not one jot or tittle of the law will be done away with until all be fulfilled. Let me ask you something. Were the ceremonial laws done away with? Can we draw application from them? Sure, we point right back to Christ. But were they done away with? Yes, they were. When were they done away with? When it was fulfilled. When it was fulfilled in Christ. This isn't hard to understand unless you've been taught wrong and when you walk down in the context, you want to fight and kick against the pricks in order not to submit yourself to the Word of God. And look, I know it's difficult. It's difficult when you've been taught wrong. And in this culture, we've been taught a lot wrong in the Scripture, a lot. And then he says this, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. At that time, at that time, that was true. Jesus was in his humiliation. He's not been in his humiliation. This is why we shouldn't be making images of Jesus in his humiliation. We're commanded not to do those things. If you want to continue this, we're just going to be on a couple of passages, and I'm going to bring in some of the New Testament with what is said about the king too. Bradley, be with you at 3. Uh, Lord willing, we'll talk to you in the morning, 6 a.m. But join us, sonsoflibertymedia.com, before it's news.com. Top of the page is there. We'll see you on the other side. All right, want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And um, again, let's go back into here and let's see what he says. And I know I'm rehashing a lot of the same things. And maybe, hopefully for you, the listener, you're getting some um, evidence of the fact that when Jesus says these things, we have to conform ourselves to him, not him to us. And that's, that's really the issue. And isn't that what Scripture says that God does for his? He's conforming us to the image of his dear son. Yes. And so we want to... Look, I, there, I think there are some genuine believers who are my friends, who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, who may not see these things exactly as I do, 
I'm not saying your salvation depends, but I am saying that we are those who say the word of God is authoritative. It is the word of God. God is not wrong. And so therefore, where we're wrong, we change to conform to the image of Christ. And in this passage, we're conforming to his word. So he goes on and he says, and boy, the answers I get for this is just incredible to me. I mean, they, they really are incredible because, let me, let me see if I can give it, let me read this and I'll give you an example. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I hear all kinds of references to the days of Noah from people. And it gets, it gets to some things that you can see that are biblical to things that are just downright weird and unbiblical. And again, I've heard it from you know, angels coming down and having sex with, with women, um, which isn't even in the scriptures, by the way. You, I've done a whole show on it. Maybe I'll have to re rehash that, the sons of God, and show you from the text what it says. And the only way you'll come away thinking that angels had sex with women is if you're going to read people who get off into the bizarre with it. Just the bizarre. Jesus is clear about what the days of Noah are like. He's clear in the text. Verse 37, as the days of Noah were, so, also, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Four. What's the four there for? He's telling you what the days of Noah were like. And they weren't any of this stuff. I, I've had people leave comments about um leave comments about DNA and genetic manipulation and all that. None of that's in the text. It's not. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking. Marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, I want to ask you something. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. Is Jesus king? Yep. He said in Matthew 16, there were going to be some there that were standing, he was talking to, who would not die until they saw him coming in his kingdom. This is why I called this segment the return of the king. The king had went away on a journey, right? That goes into Matthew 25, I think. Remember that, that little parable? Goes on the journey, leaves the talents. And what happens? When he comes back, he sees, oh, this servant had some, and he doubled his, and this servant had some, and he doubled his, and this servant over here didn't want to lose the one talent that he had, and he went and buried it in the ground. He didn't even go in there and do the usury thing. And he just brought back the talent. And Jesus said he was a wicked servant for that. He also talks about the kingdom being like a mustard seed. And in that kingdom... 
What did Jesus do? He planted little seeds. He had 12 disciples. He had other people that were listening. After his, after his resurrection and ascension, how many people were there on the day of Pentecost? 120, right? Very small number of people. And by the time Paul writes Colossians, the gospel has gone throughout the entire world being preached to every creature under heaven. The kingdom blew up. It, it just took over the Roman Empire. The gospel was going throughout all of the Roman Empire. From a bunch of scaredy cats who were locked up in a room after the crucifixion of Jesus to now these bold men who proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, they, they proclaimed that and they were willing to seal that testimony in their own blood. In their own blood. And so, what's the days of Noah like? Like any other day. Like any other day. Trust me. Get somebody who says it's all this weird stuff and everything else and point them back to what Jesus says. Jesus says it's like any other day. People are getting married. They're eating and drinking. They don't have a care in the world. And I read for you from some from Josephus where there was even uh, a false prophet there on the day of the siege of Jerusalem. He's saying, ah, Messiah is coming. He's going to save us. And that's what people are doing even today. They're unwilling to go in the manner that Jesus said because he said he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, does he have it or does he not? Well, Tim, you know, Satan's really, really, he's the top dog here. No, he's not. No, he's not. And it is that mindset as to why Christianity is being, the, it, it, it's lost its saltiness. And it's good for nothing, Jesus says, but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. There is no victory in the Christian, the, the proclaimed Christian church anymore. It's all about your best day yet. It's about what you can get from the genie God if you rub him the right way, or rub his little lamp the right way, or you say the right thing, or you proclaim certain things. It's nothing but witchcraft is what it is. It isn't, it isn't biblical Christianity. But that's what people will buy into. And then he talks about that judgment. Notice the judgment that he gives. Verse 40. Then shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Well, see there, Tim, this, this is that rapture. No, friends, he's talking about judgment. And the people who are taken are judged. The people who are left are not. The one taken to judgment, the other left. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. So he tells these people, look, this is on your horizon. 
I'm not telling you the day or the hour, but you will see the signs. If you want to talk about seeing the signs, there they are. They were for Jesus' disciples in the first century. They saw the signs. Just like they would see a fig tree putting on leaves and no summer's nigh, when they saw these things all culminating together there in the first century, they knew that his coming, that the end of the age, and that the, all the things that he was talking about here was about to come to pass. All of it. Therefore, you also be ready. Be also ready for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those who put to death the Son of God, the Romans and the Jews were prophesied to do so. Did you know that? Yep. They were prophesied to do so. In fact, this passage, which we've alluded to many times, is one of the most quoted Psalms in the New Testament regarding the Christ. Listen to what it says. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, "Let Now, who, who is this? Who's the rulers? Who's the kings of the earth? This is the Romans and the Jews at the time. Now, look, the application is people are still, men are still doing this stuff. But when you look to the apostles and they talk about Psalm 2 and they speak of this, they're talking specifically about the Romans and the Jews and them putting to death the Son of God. And what do they do? They say, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And again, I stress, we're not waiting on a king. Jesus is not a coming king. He is king now. He is king. And either you're being subdued by the king through the gospel message, or you're going to be subdued by him in judgment. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. Read 1 Corinthians 15. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. What's he saying? He's already made this promise to him. The father's made this promise to the son. The father made this promise to Abraham. In thy seed, which the book of Galatians tells us is Christ. It's not, he's not specifically pointing to Isaac, but in thy seed, which is Christ, 
shall all the nations be blessed. And he says, if you just ask, I'll give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. John chapter 17, Jesus prays for those that he has given him, those he will give him. And he prays that God will not take them out of the world, but will keep them from the evil one. So people says, you know, you're getting out of the world. You're going to escape this. You're going to escape this tribulation. You're not going to be persecuted, blah, blah, blah. That is in direct contrast to the words of Christ. Are you better than your master or the one you call your master? Wasn't he ridiculed? Didn't he have things said about him? Wasn't he persecuted? Wasn't he murdered? Yes. Are you better than Jesus? You better get your thinking caps on for that one. If the king endured it, so will his servants. And he says, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And Jesus says in, in Revelation chapter 2 that he already has that rod of iron. And that those who overcome and they repent, they'll sit on his throne with him. They'll get that too. They're going to rule the nations. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Again, Psalm chapter 2. That is, what, what does God say? They, these guys are trying to do this. It's clear, Psalm 2 is about the coming of Christ and what he's going to do and who he's going to face and what they're going to try to do. They don't want to be ruled by him. We have no king but Caesar. Isn't that what the Jews said? Yeah, that's exactly what they said. We have no king but Caesar. Who is this man? Take him and crucify him. Give us the, the zealot. Give us Barabbas. The scripture says, Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, and this is from Acts chapter 4, verses 25 to 28. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why do they even rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers who gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For the truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. The inspired apostle tells us exactly what Psalm 2 was meant to, to, to convey. Is there application for it? Yep, kings of the earth today who call themselves kings and want to make up their own laws and not live under God's law and not govern according to the law of God? You are to kiss the son lest he be angry. Otherwise, you're acting just like these guys and your end's going to be the same as theirs. But, but Peter says, who's these kings? And who's these rulers? Herod, Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. 
That's Acts chapter 4, 25 to 28. That's what's there. We also see in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Acts chapter 2, 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, whom ye crucified, both Lord and the Christ. He was the Messiah, now he's Lord. Now he is Master. Now he is king. Okay? Another one where they use Psalm 2. This comes from Acts chapter 13. Uh, nose is itching. Verse 33. God had fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And that's quoted again in Hebrews 1, 5 as well. He has an inheritance. That is quoted, Acts chapter 13, verse 33. It's mentioned in the book of Revelation. Psalm 2 is mentioned in several places. And that's carried out as well. But all through the New Testament, Psalm 2 is spoken about. It. And what is it? What is, what is the real gist? What is the real, I don't know, cherry on the top, if you will? Let's go back to this. What's the cherry on the top of this? This is what men are doing. They set themselves to take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. And look at what he says. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill Zion. Men can do whatever they want to do. But God's going to have his way. And Jesus is king. And he did return to destroy those wicked servants of the Old Testament covenant. And their city. And all their trinkets. Why? Because he fulfilled them. He fulfilled them. And he said, there was a time where God looked over the ignorance of men, but not anymore. All men everywhere. I don't care who's leading your country, where you're at in the world. You are called to repent and to bow the knee to this king. He is the one and only potentate. There is no other. All other kings, all other popes, all other rulers, leaders, representatives, whatever you want, if they are not submitted to the king, they are, a, they are imposters. They are traitors to the king. All of them, they're imposters. They seek the same thing Lucifer sought, and that is they want to be God. They want to write their laws. They love to be called lawmakers. 
Oh, keep us from such blasphemy. Keep us from such blasphemy. There is but one lawgiver. Everybody else is an imposter. Everybody else is a criminal. They are. Because they're sinning. And the Bible says sin is transgression of the law. What does that make you? It makes you a criminal before God. And we're talking about his moral law. I'm not talking about silly little laws they make up about wearing seatbelts or goofy stuff. Those are not laws. They're pretended laws. Some of our forefathers threw them off for goofy stuff like that. Pretended law. What's the practical application of understanding Matthew 24? God keeps his word. He promised them if they disobeyed him, the people of Israel, if you disobey me, here's all the curses, man, and they're going to line up and they're going to overtake you just like the blessings. And Leviticus 26, if you don't listen to me when I bring judgment on you and I chastise you, I'm going to bring it seven times worse and I'm going to bring it seven times worse. And what did, what did he do? Boy, I tell you what. God could have brought the judgment on Israel the day they made the covenant with him. When Moses sprinkled the book with blood and he sprinkled the people with blood, he could have brought judgment on them that day. He would have been right and holy and just in doing it. But he was merciful towards them. And you see him sending prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to them, calling them to repent. And it was both a spiritual message and it was a political message, if you will. He called them back to the law to obey him, to obey the king. But they were wrapped up in their king men. Their men kings. Instead of being wrapped up in the king of kings. And the message has not changed. The only difference is, is the king has come. The king has come and he's on his throne. And I ask you, friend, where are you at? Have you bowed the knee to the king? Or are you still thumbing your nose at the king and saying, we got this, all we need is another election. We'll get the right guy in there. We want to be just like the rest of the nations. If that is your attitude, then the king commands you to repent. The king commands you. He's not asking you. He's not saying, will you ask me into your heart? You don't see that in the scripture. That's nowhere in there. You must repent before this king. You must kiss that son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. That applies to kings, pretended kings, rulers, representatives, presidents, prime ministers, and yes, it applies to you and to me. The king has come. What are you doing with him? Are you still in your rebellion against him? Or are you those who have found that that wonderful submission or subduing that God does to men, sinners, rebels against him, that submission that he does through the preaching of the gospel and the empowering of his spirit has not transformed your life to where you love this king and you want to obey this king and you want to honor him as king. Which one are you? I leave that for you to answer. We had the phone lines open. So here, if somebody wants to, to jump in the chat 
and you want to badmouth me, there's one guy in there saying I'm a wolf. You had your chance, hour and a half. I let you know two days in advance. Some others who were in the chat this morning, you had your chance. And yet I'm called a coward. Yep, that's right. I saw that tooth. I saw your comment about that, that I'm a coward because I preached for an hour and a half about what happened in Matthew 24. And when I said, what did Jesus say? This person called me a coward. What does the scripture say? What does it say? Because it's not changing. And you can run from it all you want, but you can't hide from the truth that Jesus is king and you're commanded to bow your knee to him. Bradley, be with you at three o'clock today, Eastern time, sonslibertymedia.com. And then we'll be back with you in the morning, 6 a.m., bright and early. Talk to you then. See you.